Welcome to Civil Politics. This is Stefan Ward-Wheaton. I am executive producer, sit-in host after a hiatus of some time for the program. So welcome um, to your customary Friday evening roundup of politics, all things near and far here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP, Northampton, 103.3 FM, here with the redoubtable Susan Timberlake. Try that again, Sue. Try that one more time. In. I said, hard to be Republican in the Valley, and our guest came yes. in anyway. Yes, so. we're here with a special guest. <laughs> a very special guest. Lindsay Sabadosa, running for the 1st Hampshire State House District, which covers, I believe, you can fact-check me on this, Hatfield, Northampton, Southampton, and Montgomery? And West Hampton. And West Hampton, okay. West Hampton, oh, I yes. that one. That's okay, Five. So that's terrific. Um, even an even bigger district than we thought. Uh, so we're going to be uh, spending the next hour just chatting about uh, Massachusetts politics, probably getting in a few asides here and there. Um, but I do quickly want to uh, remind you, if uh, for those of you who are interested in reaching out to us on the socials, the social medias, you can find us on Twitter um, at Civil Politics FM. Also by email, you can reach out to us if you want to send us direct feedback to civilpoliticsradio at valleyfreeradio.org. On Facebook, uh, we are facebook.com slash civilpoliticsradio. Um, and we also have a blog up where we put archived episodes of the show on a regular basis, and that is just civilpoliticsradio.com. Uh, so we hope you seek us out there. Um, Sue, uh, do you want to start us off at any particular point? Or? I was just going to ask our um, esteemed guest to introduce herself and sort of in asking that I think all of us here on the show are so happy when there are races. It's so important for people <laughs> to run. So thank, thank you for fighting the good fight, and uh, we'd love to know sort of who you are and why you're running. All that would be great. Thank you. I agree. I really like it when there are contested races. I think it's a real problem in this state that we don't have contested races more often. It leads to a lot of voter apathy, and we need to we need to move away from that. So thank you for having me, because it's also really nice to, to get out and talk about the race and make sure people are informed. It's confusing, because this is the first time in 16 years that this seat has been vacant, and it is the first time in about 20 years that the state Senate seat has been vacant, and people are really confused about the election. Election. So I want to start off by saying Lindsay Sabadosa running for state representative, which means I'm not a write-in candidate. You're on the ballot. I am on the ballot. Excellent. Both Excellent. of the candidates for state representative are on the ballot. So the, the bigger race that I, I think people think is a little more exciting is the state Senate race, and that does have writing candidates. But it's only got one person on the ballot. It only has one person on the ballot. But Go figure when you go in the polls, people are going to be confused, I bet. I think <laughs> that they will be. So I think it's really important to start off by, by just doing that little bit of voter education and saying... And that's a Senate, Senate seat? That's the state Senate seat. The state, state rep Senate. seat has no writing candidates. So please, unless you are so inclined, do not write anybody in oh, for right, the state write in from the other race? Yes, they could. They could oh, definitely do that. that. But, so please don't do that. Um, <laughs> If you want to write a write-in candidate in, do that for the state Senate race. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm running for the state rep seat, and, you know, it's a, really, it's a really exciting time. This is a really fun election season, and 
I'm running because I come from a background, a community organizer background, where I, I think we had a president like that, didn't we? We did have a president <laughs> like that. He was very successful, so let's hope that that's the case. Although I don't know, we can debate that if you if we both agree that he was successful or not. Um, but in any case, I, I do come from a community organizer background, which means I spend a lot of time both in the streets, actually trying to make some social change, and at the state house, trying to pass legislation that I support. Um, Things like Medicare for All, things like the Safe Communities Act, the Healthy Youth Act, the Access Bill, and we can talk about all those more in detail. Some of them I recognize, but some sure, of them I don't. Sure, sure. And, you know, it's the State House is an interesting place, and it's a very frustrating place. And it's frustrating because it is very hard to pass anything. Even though the State House is 80% held by the Democrats, 80% of the State House is held by Democrats, um, we're just not seeing things get through. And, you know, just yesterday, there was a great article in Mass Live about all the things that were not accomplished this mm. session, and the list is long. And I truly believe that the reason that that's happening is because we in Massachusetts have a system of government that is very, very top down, where we have very few people who are holding all of the power. And we're not getting people involved. And I think this race is a, is a good example. Like This is the first time people are getting excited about these races. But for a long time, people you know, didn't seem to really pay much attention to what was happening in Boston. And I, I run the Pioneer Valley Women's March. I help to bring people to, to D.C. and New York and Boston. And, you know, the, the first time we organized the march, people came home and they said, now what do we do? And they didn't know that there's a lot to do in Boston, a lot. And it was very eye-opening for me to realize that even though I think we live in a place where we have high information voters, we have people who are very engaged, they don't always know what happens at the state house, And we need to change that type of government. We need people to be really informed and involved. And I'm running because I believe that the bridge to that is a representative who believes in transparency and communication. So really getting out into the community on a regular basis and not just relying on people coming to you, right? There are always going to be some people who come to you, but the vast majority aren't sometimes crabby ones crabby ones <laughs> sometimes i mean sometimes lovely ones too yeah. but the the fact of the matter is only 30 percent of the population and that's being generous votes that's 70 percent of people out there don't vote aren't involved and don't generally even have an idea of what's happening and that needs to change and i believe with the right representative that can change and that we can really start to see the legislative process change because that gridlock in boston it's frustrating but there are a lot of people running this year who understand that it's frustrating and are looking to form a new type of government to form coalitions where we push back against this idea that four or five people down there decide everything that it's not serving the commonwealth yeah, um, that that's a, a a great opening salvo. So thank you for that. Um, and I think you're. I think a lot of what you say reflects um, a lot of sentiment, not only Massachusetts wide across the state, but especially here out in Western Massachusetts, uh, where there's a perennial habit, uh, a perennial issue, I should say, and a long-standing feeling that this part of the state is underserved by Boston and that kind of all roads lead to Boston. It ends up focusing the uh, attention of our politicians on kind of the, the population rich areas around uh, that part of the state yes. and that we end up kind of getting scraps 
right. to an extent. And that ha- that's been mitigated to some extent. Um, you know, the, the, the former Stan Rosenberg uh, uh, state senator was very influential, bringing Speaker a lot more. Uh, uh, no, state senator. The, he's, uh, uh, president. Sorry. Senate president. Senate yes. president, yeah, and state senator. Um, he was influential, bringing a lot. And a lot of our long, long-time representatives like, like Peter Kokut uh, we're also able to do the same and to kind of establish, uh, you know, some seniority. And so I, I guess by way of a first question, what do you see as issues, not just uh, statewide, but sort of locally that you want to see pushed and that if elected, you would sort of bring to the state house and say, here's what we need out here in the Pioneer Valley? Well, I think the first thing when we talk about just this area of the state, although I do want to talk about that idea of Western Mass being ignored because it's Mm. it's an interesting topic and definitely is worth discussing more. But I I think transportation is one of the first things that I think of when I think of our area of the state really not getting our fair share. And we see that because we see the PVTA being cut and we... I, the bus routes were the, just the decimated. Yes, and f- with then fare hikes, which is really mm-hmm. hurting the most vulnerable members of our society. And a lot of us can sort of live in this bubble where we don't pay a lot of attention to that because we don't ride the bus. And that's kind of a problem. We should be riding the bus because public transportation, I believe, is the way forward. But that's a good example of Western Mass really not getting its fair share. Mm. Now, to be fair, the MBTA is also kind of crumbling because we're not investing in infrastructure the way we should. But, you know, the the investment has to be fair across the state. And we need to start looking at this as what's good for Eastern Mass is good for Western Mass because we are one state and we do need to be connected. So the PVTA, absolutely essential, must be funded. This is how people get to work into their doctor's appointments. But Actually, I, somebody yes, who just yeah. left, you I won't say their sure. name in the studio, they cut the bus route, and they have to. Uh, they only have one car in the family, right. and so mm. they have to go to work an hour early, mm-hmm. and stay an hour late, or be late for work every right. day. And you know, it's just they just change the bus route just enough so that they are just plumb out of luck. Yeah. And you know, it's a middle class person who's very reliant on the on the bus route. So yeah, it, c- it hits very close to home here. I think yeah. it hits close to home for a lot of people. I One of the things I've been doing in this campaign is knocking on a lot of doors. I truly believe in, in canvassing as, as the way to campaign. And I met a man a few weeks ago who said his mother lives in Springfield and she has no way to get here anymore because there's no bus route. You have to mm. transfer in Holyoke. So it, just getting from Springfield to Northampton can be a full day affair. That's really not serving our district well. And it's it's also just encouraging. Didn't used to be true 100 years ago. No, it didn't. So <laughs> it's it's interesting, right? We, there are things we were able to do in the past. We should be able to do them again in the future. And, you know, public transportation in the rest of the world looks a lot different than it does here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not quite sure why we've moved away. I mean, actually, I have a lot of theories about why, but we've really moved away from this idea that everyone deserves to be able to move around. We've moved into this idea of a society where everyone should have their own car and that independence. Or and be able to pay for Uber. Ex- or pay for Uber. <laughs> I know, right? Like, can everybody afford to pay for Uber or Lyft? I don't think so. Mm. And that's where we're le- a lot of people are falling through the cracks. The train that came back here in Northampton, the passenger rail, Yes, it only goes twice a day, and you couldn't take it for work. And yet... It's like when you introduce a new system to test it. Mm-hmm. They've introduced it in such a way that it can't be successful. Well, so I don't know or if in my it's... Opinion. Right. I mean, it's certainly not going to be incredibly useful if you are going for work. 
that is true. I do think they're going to expand service and that will be more useful. I've heard a lot of people say, oh my gosh, I can finally like get down to New York for the day and come back. That's really helpful. I was thinking Greenfield to Springfield. Greenfield, but... <laughs> Greenfield to Springfield, yeah. Mm-hmm. Greenfield to Springfield is really essential. But we, we did see a lot of ridership, which means that if oh, okay. the service is there, people are going to use it. So in, just in that sense, the fact that the first weekend there was this expanded route that had 6,000 people take the train. Oh, I didn't know that. That's really huge. That means that if you keep expanding the service, you're going to see people buying tickets Use it. and yeah. hopefully driving less. They did. I I do remember Amtrak had sort of set uh, kind of provisional expectations on ridership and the the Vermonter line, which mm-hmm. is technically that through line up to up through the valley, <laughs> b- just broke through those. Yeah. It, at one point, I think it was like the most the second most popular line in Amtrak by you know ridership according to stop to miles. Or yeah, to miles, yeah. which is is a pretty big distinction, I and I think idea. that speaks to what you're saying that. Um, there's kind of an appetite for better public transportation and for more connectedness with the rest of the state. Yeah. Now, on that same note, would you be interested? Are you are you planning to pursue the east-west rail line? Absolutely, and I think the east-west rail line is a really important. It's really important for Western Mass in terms of economic development, but it's also really important because we do have housing stock here. Mm. People do want to continue to live here, and we don't always have employment that needs to change we need i'm not in favor of bringing large factories out to western massachusetts this is not what i'm talking about but we do need people to be able to live in one place work in another live in one place study in another and if you have a train they can do that and the tracks are there Mm-hmm. So we're not talking, I mean, we are definitely talking about modernization. This is an ambitious project. But again, what we see with ridership is people are excited about being able to get across to the state. I drive into Boston a lot. And we refer Maybe to it. more soon? I certainly hope so. But we <laughs> refer to it as the mass parking lot. Oh, it's yeah. Really it's, <laughs> and you just, you take, I've taken pictures of it because it is so ridiculous. And there are times where I'm, you know, getting towards the extended pike where I can see the train running next to the highway and I can't actually get off the highway to get on the train <laughs> because there is so much traffic and you just think it's only going to get worse. So actually getting this rail is essential and I, I know so many people who would take it and it just benefits us. So I'm, I'm not sure why there needs to be such hold up. Are people holding up for north south before they do east west or do, do you know what I mean is it is it a rather this than that or is it is there some pitting one of against the other or something it's funding it's, it's fu- yeah. funding. oh so if there's only so much money where are you gonna it's funding where are you gonna spend it yeah and and again this is another issue where the MBTA in Metro Boston already has so many problems um, and that ends up sucking up a lot of attention mm-hmm. and a lot and a lot of funding that could come out here right. if we had been more proactive as a state in expanding the Boston metro network outwards to match suburban growth. Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, we're, we're, we out here are feeling the effects of that in how sluggish it, the rate of growth in our own mm-hmm. public transit has been. And I worry a lot about it in terms of population. I just think if we don't have a way to be connected to the rest of the state, we're going to see, as we already are seeing, a lot of our younger people leaving the area. Mm. And I don't 
want this area of the state to be only where people over the age of 65 live. You need multi-gen... No, but you need people (laughs) of all ages. Actually, the mayor of Narkowitz has said that, too. He said, yeah, we have to be really careful because Northampton's been such a vibrant, booming arts and music town and a lot of people right. are going oh this looks really nice i think i'll retire here well and that's wonderful <laughs> but we and i don't want to discourage that either but you mm-hmm. want all ages yeah, in a you town want the you want a multi-generation it's better for everybody my right? neighborhood is just starting to turn over in florence and <gasps> you know there's a lot of folks that have been there since god was a boy and then <laughs> there's sort of us who moved there retired and then new families yes. and boy when you have the kids in the neighborhood it's just it's really yeah. but it's great because there are all of these stories that come together right that's what creates community yeah. when you have like young people and older people and i i, I live in bay state village which is great because i've had people you know i have neighbors who've lived there really since birth and then all of these new people coming in and it creates this great quirky little neighborhood and that's fun. right as long as nobody's sort of being driven out or dragged in exactly well that's my issue is like being living as a 20 something here in northampton the issue for me and for a ton of other people you know as 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 you've been saying it's kind of curious to me we have so many colleges Mm -hmm. and universities here we have UMass, world-class research university, um, and all of our esteemed private universities. It's We have such a glut of 18 to 23, 24-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So many of them leave. Yes. And so many of them leave, in my experience, it's because of high rents, yep. few jobs. Yes. Few jobs. Or and, few uh, and house, jobs. And housing is approaching, Is we're feeling the same effects in the housing market that bigger cities are feeling. I mean, Northampton is... It, it, it's very difficult to afford on, you know, and it's very and it difficult to really find. Be. I mean, I did, yeah, there's so some, there's something in that happens and maybe it's just demand, but yeah, it's very interesting how high pricing housing has gotten. It's certainly demand. I do think though, that we need to talk about infill. We need to talk about zoning. We need to talk about mm-hmm. middle income housing, you know, Thampton, we do have, I mean, we never, we certainly don't have enough, but we do have low-income housing that comes online, and we have a lot of really expensive houses, right. and that makes it very difficult for people in the middle. There's the a middle. hole in the middle. Yeah. There's a big hole in the middle, and we need to start addressing that hole in the middle because we can't just be the two extremes. We need, again, it's the same thing, ideas having a multi-generational society. You need all income levels in a town for a town to be really vibrant and it makes it hard to to start businesses here too if you have that gap that age gap as Mm -hmm. well so i keep saying the people i know who are my age i'm 37 who live here have brought their jobs with them yeah they can do it and they can do it that way and and quite honestly that's my situation as well internet could be better the internet yeah. could be better. <laughs> um, luckily, in Bay State, the internet is fine. Our cell reception is terrible, but our internet is fine. I learned to pick out a house by trying my cell phone because uh, I bought a house in Cummington a couple of years ago. <laughs> no internet and no cell phone. <laughs> it's <laughs> a beautiful place. <laughs> it's beautiful. Beautiful. But I had this huge uh, commercial satellite dish on my house to deal with all those uh, issues yes. and a repeater for my cell phone. It's like yes. I didn't really intend to invest like this, so. But yeah, that's a surprise in most communities. You move out from Boston, you expect us to have like the mm-hmm. baseline of you expect to be able to take a bus if you move out from Boston. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and you're in for a surprise. Yeah, that that's not going to be how you get around. A lot of people the planners seem to be thinking that people are going to live downtown, but there's no grocery store for them. That is true. And mm. so it's sort of odd that they're planning all this housing right. with no parking and they're not providing the you know, it's sort of like a half a plan. Mm-hmm. 
uh, well, for Republican, it feels that way. It's <laughs> like, a, you know, it's like a half a plan. It's like, mm, we haven't thought this all through. But that it's really tough on people. They move here and then, mm-hmm. as you say, there's no uh, there's no public transportation. There's little. There's there's little. And, it, and it, you know, it's hard. And you definitely, you know, public transportation is part of that, right? You you adjust your schedule to the bus schedule. But, yeah, you know, we don't have a, a culture where people are really focusing on getting more of the public transportation and we need to start doing it they did bring in bicycles here i've been noticing the electric bikes but boy that's tough if you're 70 that's a little (laughs) bit of a rough ride yeah i don't know if that's a replacement for yeah but i thought it was interesting it's like okay who and it's not no who is this and the weather here i mean it's in it's in new england (laughs) as we found out today when i got rained on (laughs) coming over here tornado warnings up in orange today but um yeah, when you when you look at some of those decision processes, like okay, how are they filling in? What yeah. what are they filling in in terms of um, you know public planning, and where where do they think this is really going to go, and what are they planning for? So better discussion probably could be had. Well, well, definitely, and you know, I'm just I'm thinking about other places in the world too. When when you brought up the grocery store, I lived overseas, and I walked to the grocery store in all weather and there are special little carts that everybody had so you could you know walk home mm-hmm. with your groceries um yeah i, I don't tried to do that, that at the stop and shop once i almost got arrested yeah. so have you seen the carts on the bike path people get as far yes. as the bike path and they throw and it's just right. like this i wow yeah yeah but that's because they're desperate to get their groceries home and yeah, and they need to do that, and yeah. we need to live in a world where you can go grocery shopping and easily. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, just shifting a little bit, um, in, in terms of another issue, um, I unfortunately did not was not able to tune in to, um, to the, the debate, the session that uh, you had for First Hampshire that was sponsored by... Um, our competitor? Our, our, <laughs> our, our big competitor, 1400 uh, W... Uh, HMP? HMP, thank you. I kept thinking GBH, and that's Boston. The League of Women Voters. Yeah, in the League of Women Voters, yes. Wonderful Um, group. But I I had been listening in to the, um, I think it's first Hamden and Hampshire. It covers the, it's the race covering East Hampton. It's for. Oh, so um, that's Second Hampshire. Oh, that's Second Hampshire. Thank you. Second Hampshire is East Hampton, Granby, Hadley, and South Hadley. Perfect. Thank you. Yes. And uh, they're having a pretty robust race down there. Um, as well. Um, but good to know we're First Hampshire. Yes, we're yeah. First Hampshire, yeah. They're confusingly named, and if you look at a map, it's really not clear why some of these districts were drawn the way they are. Um, but it's population. It's population, It's population, yeah. so they try to keep the state rep districts between about forty two and 45,000. Roughly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, anyways, I but they, they harped a lot on charter schools and yes. on education. So I was wondering if you sort of had some idea of how you were going to tackle that issue, because it is very, um, um, it is very kind of nuanced and requires a lot of thought into how uh, you're going to, how candidates and how our representatives are going to handle charter schools and create a public school budget and a public school a sort of infrastructure that can serve everyone's needs and all children's needs, but mm-hmm. also balance that with the growth of charter schools in the state. So sort of what's your... Well, right now there's a cap on charter schools in the state. So right. It was reaffirmed. Yes, mm-hmm. and it was reaffirmed. So, you know, I actually support that cap. I think that our area has some 
really truly lovely charter schools, quite honestly. And I think that the um, original intent of charter schools was quite good to sort of be these innovative centers. I remember back in the 90s in high school when the idea of a charter school was new and we were studying it and debating whether that would be a good thing or not. But I, I do worry about charter schools that are not like the charter schools that we have locally coming into the state. And that's why I think that the cap mm -hmm. is a really good idea. I think that we're seeing charter schools that are um, very much for profit occurring in other places in this country. And I'm, I'm happy that Massachusetts... And they're not regulated as well as well, they and, are and here. And that's true, of really, yeah. though. I mean, charter schools even here are not regulated to the same extent as our public mm -hmm. schools. But they're lottery but rather than... In other yes. states, you can right. yeah. pay it by your way. And whereas right. here, it's a lot... There's, they, they do some things to keep it a uh, level playing field a yes. little bit. Yes, yes. But not unionized. Is but that not right? unionized. And, mm. and I... You know, I, I'm a big supporter of unions, and I worry a little bit about charter schools unionizing in the sense that I worry about that being a, a way for charter schools to, to help lift the cap and right. to do further work to expand. And I, it's, it's a hard debate for me because you want to protect workers' rights. I want to protect workers' rights. I want to make sure that nobody is being taken advantage of in their job. So it would be interesting to see how that formed. And, and quite frankly, that is going to have to come bottom up. So that's going to be, have to be teachers and charter schools who decide what that needs to look like for them. Um, but I imagine also difficult because one charter school is so different from the next. Mm -hmm. And um, and they have Some of the folks that work there like the freedom of the curriculum and the process, right? I'm That's sure. part of the, it's mm -hmm. almost an attraction yeah. because it's entrepreneurial. So it's an interesting question about unionizing charter schools, but. There is, it, it, I think that kind of comes along with a larger state and national debate that we're having about sort of the deprofessionalization of teaching. Mm -hmm. And this is something, um, I have a lot of uh people I went to school with who went into Teach for America yes. or went into programs like City Year down in New York. Mm -hmm. um, and these are great ways to get young people into teaching, but because they are not, they don't have the same infrastructure, they don't have mm -hmm. the same protections as employees that they do in the, pu the public system as full public employees, um, they end up getting shortchanged, and the conditions are often very difficult in the schools, and they are kind of put, you know, sort of thrown in trial by fire. At least that's what Which I was isn't told. Which is necessarily so. good for the kids. Well, that's right. actually what yeah. I was just going to say. Like, I, I think that the idea behind these programs was great, except that, yeah, then sometimes you're not creating consistency for the students. It's not really creating a a culture within the school because you have teachers who are only there for a, for a short term. You don't have anyone who's mm -hmm. establishing a career there. You know, I know I think it's important for kids to go back and see their teachers from previous years. And when you sort of have teachers who come in and then they leave and there's this idea that I don't know, it almost feels like you have people coming in as like the saviors of the school. Right. And I, that really that really was bothers that waiting me. waiting for um, Superman? There was a documentary or <laughs> yes, something like yes, that? Yes, a few years back. Um, yeah, and it was that, that all the oh, parents, because okay. they couldn't get in, right? right? They couldn't get their kiddos in. And so they were hoping for, you know, Superman. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of turnover that happens for that exact mm -hmm. reason, and that feeds into the what you're talking yeah. about, Sue. So it, it almost becomes like a bit of a attempt 
a temp job in yes. some in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Um, in some businesses, just philosophically, because I have to play the Republican That's at least okay. for a second here, um, that that philosophy of sort of hustle and the best ones survive, mm-hmm. you know that that is sort of the free market. In some businesses, that's their model. They have young people come in, they stay for a couple of years, they work their buns off, and then they go start their own law firm. Or you know, it mm-hmm. it is a different model. And what you're saying is, how does that work in education? You know, it's one thing to do it in a, you know, building an iPhone. It's another thing to do it with somebody's education when it's their right. only their only chance of getting yeah, education. Yeah, and I don't think that it works particularly well in education, quite honestly. I think that, you know, the, the idea of what a charter school is supposed to do is this innovative center, and what we need to do is make our public schools these innovative centers. We need to give our schools the freedom to do that, and I think that if they're given the resources, I'm especially just looking around at the schools locally, I think that they can do an amazing job. They are doing an amazing job, but they are underfunded. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, that it, formula for Massachusetts. Can you work on that? Well, <laughs> and so, you know. For school, what is it, school, I, the state, reimbur- I'm getting this wrong, but you right, know what I'm talking I, I about. I do, but so it's formula. interesting because you gave, I don't, so people listening into the program don't know this, but you gave me this list of possible topics, and there was the one where you talked about the Republican Party in Massachusetts and it it was interesting because I immediately thought of this session where we had a lot of bills that did not get passed including education funding reform and they didn't get passed not because Republicans was were an opposition yeah. didn't have anything to do with the Republicans <laughs> there weren't enough to oppose it well that's <laughs> oh, true wait, the governor. But it was the de- well, wasn't the governor it was the Democrats it was the Democrats who did this so I'm a Democrat but even so the there are are vast Demo- all Democrats are not the same, and we saw in the Senate that <laughs> here, they here. were able to. They are not. They are not even here. They are not. And we saw in the Senate that they had proposed this bill that would have increased funding for schools. It would have focused on um, se- second language learners, English as second language learners. It would have given more money to lower income communities. And even though the Senate tried and tried and tried and offered and offered to kind of meet the House, the House mm-hmm. refused. And in the end, we mm-hmm. have nothing. Yeah, they didn't touch so the we, formula. They didn't touch the formula. And so what we've done is in our own, we've cannibalized, you know, this is cannibalization within our own party where now we have nothing, where at least we could have had something, but we decided not to do that. And that is a reflection, I believe, on leadership. Right. That's in a, the House. In the House. That's a, 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 a great sort of cut point for just right now. We're going to play a couple PSAs and show promos as as dictated by the FCC. So we'll be back in just a couple minutes. You're listening to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio uh, Thank with uh, Lindsay Sabadosa, candidate, Democratic candidate um, for the Democratic primary on September 4th for the 1st Hampshire District. Be back in a moment. You work hard for your wages, so you need to know most workers should receive at least the federal minimum wage and hopefully more. Also, most workers should receive overtime if they work more than 40 hours in seven days. These are the laws for everyone, documented or not. Have questions about your wages? Call the U.S. Department of Labor Wage and Hour Division. It's free and confidential. Call 1-866-487-9243. That's 1-866-4-US-WAGE. We can help. A message from the U.S. Department of Labor. The Oblivion Express, old-school, free-form, eclectic radio programming every Thursday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. on Valley Free Radio. Since 1981, the Oblivion Express has been traveling the musical spaceways in the valley, 
an eclectic mix of music from the 1940s to today and featuring just about every genre, rock, jazz, blues, world, folk, reggae, and so much more. Join me, DJ Funkadelic Fern, every Thursday morning on the Oblivion Express. Sure, humans can be a little weird at times, but take it from me, I'm a dog. And a person is about the best thing that can happen to a shelter pet. So if you want to learn how you can be that person, get down to your local pet shelter or visit theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Do you? Hey, this is Wendy, host of Valley Free Radio's subculture music program featuring new wave, post-punk, indie, and electronic music from the 70s to today. Join me every Friday night from 8 to 10 p.m. here on WXOJ or stream it live from your favorite listening device at valleyfreeradio.org. Have you always loved to read but find it hard to do these days? Forbes Library offers a variety of alternatives to keep you reading long into the night. A large selection of large print books, audiobooks, and easy-to-use e-books and e-audiobooks are available to borrow. You will find bestsellers, classics, and nonfiction offerings. Forbes Library is now affiliated with the National Library Service to provide audiobooks, magazines, and even the daily news for people with vision loss, difficulty holding traditional book or newspaper formats, and for people with certain learning disabilities. Our staff is happy to help you find just the book in just the right format. Call 413-587-1013 to find out more. And we're back with Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP, Northampton, 103.3 FM. I'm uh, Stefan Ward-Wheaton, executive producer, interloper-in-chief, and uh, sometime host. And I'm sitting in for uh, Mike Dow, who's uh, away this week. Um, And genre, too. And genre, (laughs) of course. You're not sitting Um, in for me, exactly. No, no. You're still here. Sue Timberlake (laughs) joining us, as always, on the program. And we're here with uh, Lindsay Sabadosa, who's one of two candidates um, for... Um, for the primary, the Democratic primary for the uh, first Hampshire uh, State House district, which covers and I, you can you can see if I get this right this time, okay. Hatfield, Northampton, West Hampton, Southampton, and Montgomery. That's perfect. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Now, Sweet. can you list off Third Hampshire? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, is it, is that the, that's the big one to the north of all the hill towns, right? Nope. That's First nope. Franklin. Okay. See, I don't know uh, any of the names of this stuff. Make sense. Put it on a map, and it will make more sense for I, me. But. I did want to say, as a Republican, that because there's no Republican against you, whoever wins the primary probably has a very good shot at the seat. So the primary is really important the, in this race. The primary that happens is th- essential, yes. Yeah. And it's September 4th, which people should remember. Oh, it's the day right after the holiday weekend, yes, right? Yes, it's a it's terrible like, day. Well, I even remember and I always vote. Right. Well, and, and so that's an interesting question. What do you do as a registered Republican in the Valley when there is... There are no Republicans on there. I that. write my friends in. I, you write your you friends know. in. <laughs> I don't know, Stefan. You don't you do be a you don't do joke, folks. But, um. <laughs> I try not to, just because the poor city clerks, you know. Yeah. But it is. It has to be hard if you know that the the general's pretty much going to be chosen by the primary, and you mm-hmm. aren't able to vote in the primary. That seems very unfair to me. Yeah. Well, I vote in the primary, so they'll probably be a Republican on some of the races. You know, okay. some of the statewide races. Mm. So I just won't have anything. Right. 
There are a lot of seats that go uncontested, I'm, though, here. I can't believe it. I don't understand it. It wouldn't uh, happen in Boston the same way. I don't remember. No, it, it actually does, though. I don't remember where we Maybe stand nationally. Belmont, but, but Massachusetts is one of the worst in the nation for um, uncontested. Lopsided. Yes. Yeah, no, well, no, uncontested races. We rarely challenge incumbents, and we rarely have um, Republican challengers. Yeah. Um, and that, yet we have Republican governors all the time. <laughs> Well, I think part of that's a reflection of how weighted the legislature is towards Democrats. People see a lot of the dysfunction that you've been talking about um, in this uh, in the, our legislature, and they say, well, "Well, maybe if we get a Republican in as the governor, things the will smooth out." <laughs> it ends up just meaning less gets done. Right. Um, that's my perspective, at least. And but, I, I think there's a problem in this state too, where we have a lot of people who run as Democrats because they feel that they can win mm -hmm. as a Democrat, and. I listen to them speak, and I think, really? You think you're a Democrat? Why? <laughs> what what values do we share? Especially when I, you know, I I talk about Medicare for all. I talk about immigration. I talk about criminal justice reform. And I hear people who claim that they are part of the Democratic Party, and their ideas are the polar opposite of mine. Now, that doesn't mean they have to be Republicans. Mm -hmm. But as far as I'm concerned, that doesn't they're mean they're Democrats. Yeah. So, you know, you come out as a libertarian or whatever you want to be, but... Do you remember when Dean ran for um, president? Yes. And his line was, I come from the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party. <laughs> right. Because I think he was speaking to that, that it, it really has become very muddled. and Very it, muddled. Yeah. Before we went on the air, I told you I had put that question on the bottom about the Republican Party. Yes. And did you want to say on the air wh what you think is wrong with my, why my party just doesn't always seem to have... Well, I think in a way I just did. We have a lot of people who are probably Republicans who are running as Democrats. So it gets very confusing yeah. in this state as to where people really Oh, okay. Really so belong. they're basically or unenrolled. Yeah, but, or yeah. unenrolled. I mean, one of the things I've been doing is talking to unenrolled people in, in the district. Because they often swing races here. Yeah. yeah, and it's very important. And you can, you know, a lot of times they're not they don't fall on the Democratic side at all, but mm -hmm. they haven't registered as Republicans. And, and I think that kind of goes back to my question to you is what do you do in a primary when you know that the result's going to be whatever, that, you know, it's have no influence, yep. and you have no influence. And I think a lot of people have chosen to be unenrolled so that they right. do have that influence. Or not vote, yeah. Well, and that's really sad, right? The not mm -hmm. voting. I would rather see someone, you know, decide that they don't belong to either party, fine. Like you're, but at least you get a say. If you don't vote, mm -hmm. then you really don't get a. If you don't show up yet, yeah. it actually what you're talking about. Speaking of Third Hampshire, uh, which is the Amherst, it's Amherst in part of Granby too, right? Yes. Is that right? Precinct okay, one. I think I remember that. Um, that that's been represented by Solomon Goldstein Rose right. for oh, at least a couple years now. He's re-registered right? he re as a. I don't know if he registered, but he declared that he's going to rerun as an independent this year. And this I threw a lot of these issues into relief because a lot of rank-and-file Democrats kind of really took exception to it. Um, and there was a pretty active debate I, debate I saw both on social media and with yeah. people in the district. On the one hand, there were Democrats saying, this isn't the time. And also, what does that mean for our representation in our district if we have an independent representing us who can't make common cause? On the other hand, people were saying this is exactly what some of us want because we want less party polarization. We want bigger and sort of more diverse candidates and ideas to actually have a shot at getting passed. Um, and that and there's a, there's a couple Democrats, um, Eric Nakajima 
and Mindy Dom running now for the Democratic primary who will face Solomon Goldstein Rose and presumably if there's a Republican running as well. So actually but they won't because Solomon Goldstein Rose dropped has out. dropped out of the race today. and he's not oh, today. Yeah, he, okay. he's no yeah. longer running. I see. All right. Yeah. So but this I think this Wasn't is still an interesting BBC, issue. But it was on the Gazette or <laughs> okay, Mass Live well, good. Or <laughs> this is this is what I yeah. get for um for only being an occasional host. But um I think <laughs> I still think that's like really interesting ago. because it's it reminds me of how difficult it actually is to break through that you binary between it's Republicans very hard and to Democrats. It's to work for you and to, yeah. to help you, and there's no machine. I shouldn't say machine. But. Well, and I, I think that in that case, and I'm, again, speculating, but I think that if he had run originally as an independent mm-hmm. and won, it would have been different. Sure. Um, because it does matter in the state house. We uh, we do live in a two party system, and until there's a wave that changes that, if you're just the one person sort of howling against the wind, you're not going to have much of an impact. And I think by leaving the party, it was definitely viewed in the sense that he would have far less clout at the state house. And you are ready. I mean, regardless of what you have done prior in life, when you go into the state house as a first year representative or senator, you, to pay don't, your dues. you don't have a lot of clout. That doesn't mean that you can't champion issues because we're seeing people do that. I mean, you can decide how you're going to behave, but you don't have the seniority. You're not going to be the chairman of a chairwoman of a committee. It's just the facts of the matter. Mm-hmm. So, by leaving the party, it really felt like he was kind of thumbing his nose at the system that's there. There are good reasons to do that, but also it was kind of telling the district, I, you know, maybe tough on his constituents. It's hard right. on his constituents that maybe I'm not really going to be as effective as I could be. I know that Solomon argued the opposite; that he said he thought he was more effective. Um, so there's some debate around that, but now he's leaving. So yeah. Well, and the fellow in Maine, Angus King. Lieberman, who changed his party. The, yeah. Was it Jeffords that went from Republican? Uh, up to, to Vermont, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they do pay a price. They when definitely they, do. Yeah. Yeah, Jeffords never... had, your your party, Sue, had the knives out for <laughs> Jeffords because he, he not only changed parties, he flipped control the of the Senate back yeah. in 2001, 2002. Yeah. But, but you see that retaliation and you realize why people tell the line. Right. right. Which is why I think if he had run as an independent to begin with and won, then... That's, be a different that's scenario. A different and he'd have his own people. That's and he'd the have other his own thing. people. And he would decide who to caucus with as well. I mean, we mm-hmm. see Bernie Sanders, who's an independent, and he caucuses with the Democrats, and you know, there's still conversation about that because he ran for president. But in any case, like it, it's not as... He, no one's out to get him because yeah. he ran as an independent. Right. Yeah, that's a little bit about being true to yourself and being authentic as a candidate, I think. And it, well, it's yeah. tough because it's just so polarized, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. at the national level, too. But this state in particular, I mean, it really is a is kind of a closed shop a little bit. And so. it's interesting because we do, and this is one of the things I've said a lot on this campaign, we talk about Massachusetts being blue and progressive and all of these things, and especially we talk about federal politics. People say, well, what can I do? We live in Massachusetts, and it's like, no, we're not a blue progressive state. Even though we we just know, fixed those nasty laws just now, just right? Just now, the abortion just laws, now. the old right, ones right. that were on the book in 2018, because the, they were afraid that the Supreme Court, right, would yes. overturn Roe v. Wade, right. and then the state would be sitting out there like a sore thumb with these crazy laws on the books. So these archaic laws surrounding abortion, and they didn't and have the will to change it until until now this week. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when we make these arguments, see I that's find something them Trump did. 
That, well, that's <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sorry. Sure. I'm sure he'd take credit um, for it if oh, anybody yeah. told him. But. <laughs> he might hold a rally in celebration. But yeah. in any case, I, I, there are a lot of very red areas of this state, and I think we like to pretend that that's not true. It can be parochial in Boston. It can be, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we see that a lot. I mean, I think the Safe Communities Act was a great example of this. Right. So what's, uh, what is, I should ask what the Safe, I'm sure our listeners probably know, but I'm, I'm oh, not sure the ins and outs of I'm, it. I'm happy to discuss it. So um, it required due process. It required um, no Muslim ban in the state. It prohibited 287G agreements, which are special agreements that sheriffs can sign. Oh, the police and the... Uh, and actually, just sheriffs. Just so sheriffs. sheriffs would sign with ICE, and it would... Um, it's an agreement that, you know, their jails would be used for different purposes, that there would be some level of enforcement. Um, and it, it says no local police resources should be used for federal, i.e., Immigration. ICE, mm-hmm. yeah, related purposes. And I think, I don't understand why we don't all agree that we shouldn't be using our local resources for the federal government, because we don't have a lot of re- local resources, and it seems you don't foolish to the AC- give them away to... You don't think the ACLU should be tracking down those lost children? Did you see that in the news today? I didn't see that on the news today. So the federal government's position, because they've been called back into court over uh-huh. separating families, and they said, oh, we're, we think the ACLU should track down the families in Mexico and, and, and help, help us reunite. They, they, sa- they said that. The ACLU should be responsible for finding the families and the kids. And the judge said, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> um, yeah, but that wow. same kind of thing that they were saying that somebody else... Somebody else should, should be responsible for yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. so I'm sorry. I was Is the federal government pro- going to fund the ACLU now? I, I, I mean, I think I, they've been <laughs> responsible for well a done. lot of increased ACLU <laughs> memberships, but I don't know that Yeah, the ACLU it was will. pretty. I mean, it's a, it was on NPR and, um, you know, on the regular. It was even like in um, my, the stuff I read. This is what happens when you're, when you're campaigning. You, <laughs> I, def, I spend a lot of time reading the newspaper, but I don't always get to it first thing in the morning. That so. just popped out right. this afternoon and it was like excuse Mm -hmm. me because as a republican i don't really want i want the government to do its job i don't you know i don't want them you know reaching over there into there well and and so this is something i've been thinking a lot about too with the current federal government and it's it's always interesting because i grew up with this idea that the republican party was very much about states rights Mm-hmm. And that the you would think right, but now <laughs> we're actually sort of flipping. I think in some ways because we're talking about states being the front lines and making the Democrats are talking about this, and we need to make sure that we're pushing back against the federal government. And for some reason, it's almost it's been a flip flop <laughs> in some sense. Yeah. Sounds like all those Republican governors in the in like the South and the yeah. Midwest during yeah. the Obama administration right. are saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, they just switch hats. You know, right. who's ever in charge? Yeah, it's very confusing. We fight a lot about this stuff on this show, and mm-hmm. it's very. I mean, it's a very mm-hmm. interesting time because it's like he said, "What? Wait." <laughs> I just didn't. And <laughs> For those of us with long political <laughs> memories, yeah. it's very confusing. Yeah. Well, and it's it's also interesting because I don't really know if Trump is truly a Republican. I don't really know what. Well, you he said is. earlier he was a registered Democrat for many years. He was, he but was he, I don't pro-choice. think he was a Democrat either. And he was single payer. Well, I think just like many people, he did what was in his best, best interest, interest. Right. as a business at the time. But it it was New York, so that was. You know, that's mm. how you. I mean, it's very interesting because people can be a little. Um, what's that 
a lizard that changes colors. Oh, a chameleon. Chameleon. Yeah, yeah, they match. They match the mm. hatch basically <laughs> at the time. But anyway, I'm sorry about the ACLU, but that just blew me away yeah, today. Yeah, that is incredible. That, that was the argument. Well, if the government wants to fund the ACLU, then let's let's have them do that because they would probably <laughs> do a better job. I that would be would amazing. Sue, so you'd have to tell me what you see on your end when that, just, if that ever happens, oh, some some heads would pop off. Oh, yeah, goodness. exploding, but. exploding heads. Um, well, we we have a few minutes left. It's probably we can probably squeeze another topic in here. Um, healthcare sure. is another. Per, it's a perennial issue for everyone, but it's especially. Uh, you know, potent because it's not for me. I have um, Medicare now. You, oh yeah. Well, Sue, <laughs> you're, you're doing Woo! just Congratulations. fine. Then, but. Thank you. And it's still there. That's the other exciting part. Um, At least for now. Right. <laughs> but yeah, for now, but um, we are sort of going through this debate and this is playing out in other primaries and other races as well around the state is what do we do? What is, what can Massachusetts do about healthcare? Do we, you know, do we try to tweak the system we have? Do we try to go for a single-payer system in-state, or do we sort of try to arrange another option? And different candidates have kind of come down different places. I thought I'd sort of quiz you on this. Where sure. No, I'm always happy to talk about this. I'm, I am a huge supporter of Medicare for All, and I've spoken a lot about it on the campaign. Some people have said even too much, but I talk <laughs> about it a lot because healthcare right now is 42% of the budget in the state of Massachusetts. And our situation is, it's untenable. <laughs> Again, there was a cost containment bill that they tried to pass this year. They'd even named it in honor of Peter Krokata and then they didn't pass it. So, you know, we, we see that there's not a lot of political will, which is why this election is really, really important. That we need to mm. elect people who understand that if we don't do something about healthcare, we're not going to be able to continue to afford the programs that we have. And it's a big part of the budget. It's right? a forty two percent. Forty two. Forty two percent. So Mass Health, I you know, I think it in a lot of ways is a great program, but it is it's an expensive program and we are seeing I sat in on these hearings, you know, the governor talk about how we can get people off of it because the state cannot continue to afford it. I think single payer is the way that we have to go because it provides affordable universal coverage and we have run calculations for cities and towns all across the Commonwealth to show them what they could save. And we did it mm. for Northampton. Northampton did pass an ordinance. Um, I'm sorry, a resolution, not an ordinance, a resolution. Um, and it was millions that the city could save by moving towards a single-payer system. So when we see those types of numbers, and in fact, we just saw nationally, what was it, the Koch brothers-backed um, mm -hmm. research that was supposed to show that single-payer was terrible and awful and actually showed that it would save, I forget how many, was it trillions, three trillion? It's, it was an, a it, huge it was, amount. It was a huge number. And so we know that the numbers are there. It's a question of how do we implement it in the state. And so... See, I think the businesses, I don't understand why they don't un they don't think that this would be a great idea because it would, it would move to a bigger risk pool yes and the businesses it wouldn't be their concern the same way well and one of the things that i truly believe is that single payer would be a huge source of economic stimulus in the state yeah. because if you're starting your own business and you're talking about paying i buy my own health care so i know how a expensive lot of people this is. do i did until very recently so expensive it is a huge impediment to starting a business and then when you start adding in employees and if you're a good employer and you want to and you can afford to i mean i don't want to Put a moral question. Sometimes it's really about can you afford to provide these benefits that truly people deserve. 
a single payer is the only way that you're going to be able to do that unless you are already starting off as an independently wealthy individual. And you're competing with other country, other companies around other the world that are, are subsidized in yes. this way. Mm -hmm. And it's a nice, clean subsidy. I don't like subsidies. You know, I like level playing field. Mm -hmm. But this is the one place where I don't. I never have understood why the businesses don't see that it's in their own Yeah, it's, it's absurd Chambers that small businesses are, I mean, small and mid-sized businesses that fall above the cap have to provide health. Mm -hmm. I mean... Why, if you go into business, if this is this is what I talk to sort of Republicans and independents about with regard to health care. Why should we expect, if, if as Calvin Coolidge said, right, I, the, <laughs> the business of America is business, business yeah, I think. It's close to that, but yes. Why, if you took that, even if you take that position, why, it, when you go into business in this country for yourself, should health care be your concern? That just seems to me, especially in a nation or that a is as employee. rich. I mean, which is your concern, but... Developed the safety as ours. net. Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting that we put it, and it's historical. I mean, it happened in you know. And how many more? How much more business? How many more? How much more innovation would we have if that wasn't a factor that was preventing people from going into business or from starting up an operation? The really great engineer whose wife is sick won't leave his job at you know right. Honeywell exactly. because he cannot risk it, and or she cannot risk it. Yeah, you see it all the time. Well, and it, I keep saying it's impacting if people start businesses. It's impacting if people start families. It's impacting you know True. where you go to school. It's it, it impacts so much, and that's why I really I consider it the thing that we need to do. It, it will free up funds in the state first of all because there are estimates that we can save between eleven and eighteen percent um, by moving towards single payer, which is mm -hmm. already huge. But it it t and it takes burdens off of our public it schools. It will put some insurance companies out of business. Well, and so this is the interesting part about that, though. We see other countries in the world. I think actually all other countries in the world <laughs> that have single payer, and yet they have insurance companies. Yeah, that's so, for the other. It's like plain vanilla, and yes. then like in the UK, you buy a you buy yeah, a premium. I have faith in the ingenuity of the business people in the United States. I don't think our insurance companies are going to go out of business if we move to single payer. I think they're going to innovate and they're going to expand into other areas. When I, I'll just share this yes. one fact with you because it's frightening, mm -hmm. but I got it in grad school from yes. a good good grad school that. All the all the territories of Canada who administer their health yes. plan have fewer employees than Blue Cross and Blue Shield that of is Massachusetts. Absolutely true. So yeah. that means that those jobs will go away. Right. And so those and are probably should. And a lot of Forgive those jobs me, are, are filling and administrative. And in fact, in the legislation that we have at the state house right now, there you are retrain. Yeah, there are retraining provisions in yeah. there. So there's funding for that. So some of those jobs would be reabsorbed in the new system because it would go through a health care trust. And so, you know, there is we must yeah. acknowledge that. But my other argument too is we aren't going to continue to use coal because coal miners need those jobs. That's a dumb reason. Like we, the, we have to move forward as a society and do what is better for everybody. Those and are tough to positions people. politically. They are tough positions, but this is a time where we need to make tough. You know, I'm not running because this is an easy job. I'm running because it's hard, and we need to make hard decisions if we want to see real change. Right. If I thought it was easy, I, I would, you should not vote for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we. Um, we're wrapping up. Uh, we have uh, Subculture with DJ Wendy coming up at 8. Um, but maybe if you want to give us a, a closing slug, uh, what's your um, 
what is your pitch since we have sue the republican our <laughs> official republican you do have a opponent. lot of parts of this district that do trend more republican montgomery southampton sometimes sometimes west hampton although less so I recently about that Harley but davidson place down um, in southampton well judging by my the roads by my house they're quite active here but what is your pitch to sort of voters who might think of you as sort of generic liberal Democrat and don't know you and, and you want to sort of reach out to somebody who might not be in your corner politically, ideologically, necessarily? I think that there are a lot of shared values, regardless of party. I think, and, and I've gone to places and I've spoken to a lot of people who do not identify as Democrats. And I think we agree that Healthcare is a problem. We agree that we need to fund our public schools. We agree that transportation is an issue. Sometimes we disagree on the policy of how we get there, but we know we all agree that the problems are there. And I am not running just to represent Democrats. I'm represent, running to represent everybody in this district. And I believe that they all need to be listened to, and I believe that their voices all need to be heard in government. And that is, I think, the difference in my candidacy, that I believe in this idea of bringing people back into government. And that means all voices. So regardless of whether they say, you know, single payer or something different, mm. I'm going to be listening. I believe strongly that single payer is the way forward. But it is about bringing all those voices to the table and listening to people's concerns. And that's something that... I've been doing by knocking on doors. I've actually knocked on 6,400 doors. Wow. So that's, that's a, lot of, a lot of voices <laughs> and a lot of opinions, and they're all different. Sure. That's, how you, that's how you do it. That's how you do yeah. it. Yeah. And I believe that that's it. something that you need to continue to do even when you're in office. You need to keep showing up. And I believe in having local offices where people know how to find me. I believe in really being accessible and then making sure that I am constantly out in the community and not just with other elected officials, but where people go and spend time. And so I, I think that I can be effective. I grew up in a pretty conservative community myself, so I'm used to listening to lots of different opinions. How do people Great. find you? <laughs> well, we are definitely on Facebook, so um, it's... I linked your website on our oh, Facebook page. You. It will so cross-post to Twitter, yes. com. Yes, thank so you. we are out of time. Stay tuned for Subculture coming up at 8 p.m. on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP, Northampton, 103.3 FM. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. This show is part of the Planetside Productions Network. For more information, please visit www.planetside.pro, and thank you for listening.